The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, March 20th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. In Washington, D.C., a town full of talking, today was a day for hearings. Though hearings in Washington, D.C. are mostly about talking. Yet James Comey reaching for footballs when he made his case to the House Intelligence Committee. And to put it in a homely metaphor, I hate the New England Patriots. And no matter who they play, I'd like them to lose. And so I'm at the same time rooting against the Patriots and hoping their opponent beats them because there's only two teams on the field. Yet Democratic Congressman Denny Heck of Washington react to the team who beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Dirty though they be, sleazy though they be. And over in the Senate, you had Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch say of the team that the Seahawks beat in Colorado today, there is God and John Elway, and Peyton Manning. And in case you were wondering what the Broncos thought of Gorsuch, you had John Elway, the GM of the Broncos, write a letter of endorsement on official Broncos letterhead. If this doesn't sound too highbrow to you, it wasn't. The Gorsuch hearing was mostly senatorial throat clearing and an opening statement from the judge saying, I'll boil it down to three words, I'll be fair. The Comey hearing was mostly the FBI director, along with his NSA colleague, Mike Rogers, saying they were actively investigating the Trump campaign's ties to the Russians. And from that rather remarkable admission, which was really the first public acknowledgement of the investigation, the White House Twitter account, at POTUS, tweeted, the NSA and FBI tell Congress that Russia did not influence electoral process. So Democrat Jim Hines of Connecticut, having seen that tweet I just quoted, directly asked the FBI director about it. Thanks to the modern uh, technology that's in front of me right here, I've got a tweet from the president an hour ago saying the NSA and FBI tell Congress that Russia did not influence the electoral process. So that's not quite accurate, that tweet. I'm sorry, I haven't been following anybody on Twitter while I've been sitting here. Uh, I can read it to you. It says the NSA... Well, that's actually a good thing. Himes got some clarity eventually on the White House's assertion. Your, the, 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 the assertion that you have told the Congress that there was no influence on the electoral process is not quite right. Right. It, wasn't, it certainly wasn't our intention to say that today because we don't have any information on that subject. You know, I've buried the news, I guess, in a way. Maybe because it's not such news if everyone knew it, but President Obama did not wiretap Trump or surveil him in any way that anyone knows of. There's never been any proof that this happened, and Comey basically said, yeah, we can't find any proof that it happened. In the end, it was up to Representative Trey Gowdy to tell us all that some of the pretty simple-to-understand things that we heard today were horribly complex and opaque. So, so the word evidence, while fancy and legal, the reality is... You find facts, and then the finder of the fact can draw conclusions and inferences from those facts. Evidence is really not that fancy a word. But this was a pretty fancy, meaning expensive, exercise in tracking down a president's irresponsible and unfounded charge and thoroughly, carefully, definitively calling it irresponsible and unfounded. On the show today, the death of a brown-eyed, handsome man and how even that has been affected by the ascent of an orange-skinned and possibly less handsome man. So we'll talk about Chuck Berry, his chords, his solos, his verses. Oh, but before that, these verses, science verses. Wendy Zuckerman, host of my favorite science podcast, is here to throw down over such topics as gun control, immigration, acne, and ghosts.
As a rule, I don't love science journalism, but I happen to love Science Versus, the Gimlet podcast. Now, if you know me, you're probably saying, oh, that's because you love the versus part, any sort of confrontation. That's true. But Science Versus isn't really confrontational. It's uh, inquisitive. It's, uh, well, Wendy, what words would you use? It's it's science-y. Wendy Zuckerman is the host of that. She's the verses in the science verses. She puts science to the test and she defines science in an interesting way. Hey, Wendy. Hello. So some of your science really is hard science. Who would say that Zeke is not science? There's even an episode called Forensic Science. But then you get into social science, things like immigration or gun control. Is that harder to do, the social science ones? Yes. Yes, they are because they're The science, as you say, tends to not be as robust. They're much more complicated. So there's things constantly interacting and entwining. And if you're trying to tell a particular, you're just trying to tell the science and tell a story at the same time because you can't just say with every study. So they did this study on gun control and they found that if there were more guns in a state, then there were more likely to be more suicides. And you can't then go into, but of course there are caveats with yeah, 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 yeah. And you can go into some caveats. You can't go into all the caveats. Right. It's just much harder than, say, a study done in a lab where everything was controlled in a very nice way. Right. So with Zika, you could say this virus passes, you know, penetrates this membrane and then you got a virus. It is a binary. It either is or isn't. With gun control, not only is it fraught and hard to prove, I would suspect there are more interests trying to muddy the waters than they, there are with the pure science stuff. Like, not that Zika doesn't have people who want to scare you about it, but it just seems more straightforward than gun control or immigration. Um, well, I think that is true on one level. I think people definitely perceive it when they're listening to the show. They definitely think we're there with an agenda and we're just some people when we're just using the cloak of science to push our agenda. But most people, the vast majority of people listening to that gun control episode and the immigration one that just came out have just said, thanks, this is as objective as possible. And when you look at the scientists who are in that area, in these areas, the vast majority of them are objective. And often there is just two or three and maybe a couple of foundations that are filtering funds into an area that kind of make it all look much muddier than it actually is. So with gun control, there are maybe maybe five groups around America who, you know, Harvard is one of them, who do really good. Johns Hopkins. Yes, really good work, who have no, really no skin in this game, so to speak, no agenda, and they do really good science. And then there's one group who seems to have been pushing a, a Barrow for a, quite a while now, and they're the ones that are constantly being interviewed as like, see, this is complex, and look at all the blah, 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 blah. And you're like, actually, that's just one. There is a science here, and there is an objectivity here. Right. And so John Lott, who is the uh, Florida State professor, gets interviewed as the other side and the Gary, balance Gary side. Gary Kleck is the Gary Florida Kleck. State. John, oh. John Lott is no longer aligned to a university anymore, oh, so we did not interview. He's gone free agent. He's gone free agent. Well, the thing is, though, I think the people who are think that more guns equals more safety 
would just listen to your trotting out of all these professors at all these universities. And to them, that would scan as biased, just like to us, you know, a John Lott or a Gary Kleck, unaffiliated with a university, but maybe affiliated with a, well, they both say they don't take uh, money from gun control lobbies. But anyway, uh, an unaffiliated with a university would seem biased. So not only do we get to select the experts we like, we get to define bias how we like. So say there's surveys that are done. So there is a scientific consensus here. Yeah. So there are surveys that look at, that sort of ask 200 scientists in America who look at gun control and they ask them about certain issues. And then they say, okay, well, there is actually a big consensus when it comes to gun control. Some like 75% of gun control researchers think X, Y, Z, up to 90%. I think it was like something when it came to guns and suicide and the link, it was up to like 95% of scientists all thought that, yes, there was a strong connection between having more guns and having more suicides. And so at Science Versus and just as like a general science thing, you just interview the one scientist that represents the 95%. So you're not actually selecting for your agenda, you're selecting for what a known consensus is. Criminologists like murder, not because they like murder, but because it's a really clean statistic. You can't you can't argue that uh, is it a burglary? Did I give him permission? Like the the guy's dead. We know the guy's dead. Let's figure out why the guy's dead. Given that murder statistics don't always tell the whole story of crime, but they're fairly well kept. Can you just look at murder statistics instead of social science and say do immigrants or do illegal immigrants murder at higher rates than native born or people who have legal status? Well, then I, even when we tried to get some hard statistics, because another one you would have thought that would be easy was drugs. Yeah. You have drugs on you or you don't have drugs on you. Um, but it just felt like the data was not recorded very well. So it wasn't clear who was an illegal immigrant um, versus a, a legal immigrant. So a lot of the data was just where were people born and this sort of thing. So we actually couldn't like differentiate it. It was inc- incredibly frustrating, I have to say. And we also couldn't believe how bad the data was, yeah. which is why we had to end up because I and because I, I really could not believe how bad that data was, and which meant that we had to end up concluding we don't know. What we do know and what there is good data on is that immigration in general, which includes legal and illegal immigrants, we know that when in general you have more immigrants into a particular area, they tend to lower the crime rate. There is good studies on that, particularly if they have the right to work. But illegal immigrants don't have the right to work. So, But when it comes to specifically focusing on illegal immigrants, the data is crappy. And that means that you can pick apart different areas to make whatever case you want. But the fact that the data is crappy is interesting for a couple of reasons because it shows that no side wins. Like, so people who then tweet at us and say, you said the data was crappy. Ha ha, illegal immigrants are bad. And you're just like, well, no, it just means no one can make their case. If we don't have good data, people who love illegal immigrants can't say, see, they're they're lowering the crime rate. And people who hate immigrants can't say, no, they're bad. It's like everyone could just go, we don't know, which is exactly what we said in the show. But what about the, I've often heard, or as a reporter run into this, the gun statistics are really bad too. And the government gets in the way of good gun statistics. Statistics being collected. 
Yes, the, the, there, are, there are some rules around and I think it varies via state. But one story that we heard from an ex-cop who'd been in the industry for, for like decades and he said that at one point and possibly still they had to record some of the guns via pencil. Like they had to use a pencil. They couldn't use a computer because there had been some law that was passed that said that if you're using a computer, this didn't even get this didn't get in the show because it was like two in the weeds of what we were actually talking about. But if if we were using if you were using a computer, it was somehow documenting and creating a list that you weren't allowed to make. But if you did it via a pencil, then it was okay. What about vaccines? You're going to do vaccines, right? Yeah, we are going to do it's vaccines. Fraud. Yeah, I mean, I don't, but it's not, but not, not fraud. You just read the studies and report oh, yeah. on it, right? It's, yeah. I mean. The vaccine one is a is a really interesting story. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm like constantly amazed how much this this like autism thing just sticks around. How many studies do we need to show that vaccines do not cause autism? To let that lie, um, that is unbelievable. But there there is other interesting aspects of vaccines that we will be covering as well as the autism stuff. But like that, I'm just yeah. Yeah, it's, that doesn't seem like fun. It does. It doesn't yeah. seem like fun, but we will. We will do. What it. was fun? What was a lot of fun? Okay, we've got ghosts. Science mm-hmm. versus ghosts coming up, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So we visited like a haunted, haunted house, a so a so called haunted house, a haunted house in Brooklyn. Do you want to have a guess? Has it a guess at how many Americans believe believing ghosts? Let's start there. Okay. You know. Wait. Uh, let's start here. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? I do not because I'm entirely empirical. I don't even believe in things. <laughs> Look, I don't I don't even believe in Lithuanians and they've been proved. But I would think this is complicated by the fact that in Catholicism the Holy Ghost mm-hmm. is taught to you as a real thing. So like actual haunting specters, Casper-like, chain-like. I don't know. I would bet a quarter of Americans do. All right, you're not bad. It's a third. A third. Couple things. One, since ghosts ha- don't have legal status to be here, they are kind of illegal immigrants. So there's a conflation <laughs> oh, of the two. Two, I do find that whatever the weird unexplained scientific thing or even explained scientific thing, we just throw our anxieties into it. Case in point, bee colony die off. Why? Cell phones. No no proof of that. Who's saying like, cell phones? A lot of people say. I mean, they were saying they're like, maybe it's, maybe it's the cell phones. Maybe it's cell towers. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, like, it's an interesting scientific question. You've yeah, had bees dying yeah. at the same time as you've had cell towers. You just got to do the study right. All right. So we could talk uh, all day about a lot of the subject matter, but I want to talk about you. But uh, Judging by your accent, you're what, Montenegrin? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Australian, born in America, but raised in Australia. So did you come up, were you trained in that, in the ABC, the uh, Australian Broadcasting Company model, like the BBC? Uh, I was. I used to work for New Scientist magazine. That was my first journalism job and then went to the ABC. Yes. And what's the difference in the temperature or the... Uh, yeah, what's the difference in what topics Australians want to know about and what Americans want to know about? I'd say the topics are really similar, and which we knew because as soon as we started making the show in Australia, we started to get a big US audience. Right, because it's a, a podcast it, and it could travel, just like Zika, travel across <laughs> right, national boundaries. Right, exactly. The pros and cons yeah, of globalization. Yeah. And then Chris Christie was there wanting to quarantine you. It's the analogy actually <laughs> obtains very well. And um, so we, uh, so we already st- we started to see Americans were interested in all the same stuff, which doesn't surprise me. It's like very, very similar people in general. What is different 
is that in Australia, and it could have been because I was already like a well-established journalist or a fairly well-established like science journalist. Like people knew yeah. who, who were in the industry that they knew they could trust that I was like good at science reporting. Right. But in America, there was this sense, I think, at least at the beginning, who is this chick? What what right. does she know? Whereas in Australia, it would have been who is this Sheila? <laughs> Exactly. But it wasn't as bad. Do you think that's a sexism thing or just a knowledge of Wendy thing? I do, I think it's in America there is this sense that everyone has to have an agenda. Oh, okay. If you ask a lot of people in America a question about anything, they will have an answer. <laughs> and you ask the the barber, you ask a, a whatever glaciologist about her opinions on chair design. She's yeah. going to have an opinion. Yeah. In Australia, you ask a glaciologist about how to make a good chair. I reckon she's going to say, yeah, not, not really. don't really think about that. <laughs> don't have an opinion. And I think this idea that everyone's got an opinion that matters, that's important, that then filters down into other things. And so that has, I've noticed that response, this like, we're all equal. We all get an opinion. Sure, you've done research on a topic for four months. But did you know I've thought about this and I don't agree? But I've seen a hashtag that slightly contradicts you. <laughs> exactly. well, are there opinion silos there as much as there are here? You know, people getting to select their own forms of fact like we have, which is a great American innovation? The alts fact or even it's definitely not as strong. I mean, for better or for worse, Australians, even though we have compulsory voting, we're not as political. We like I would say a lot of Australians would describe themselves as apolitical. They'd say things like, oh, the parties are both the same. Yeah. And let's also face it, you have compulsory voting, but most people vote because of breakfast, right? Sausages? <laughs> oh, From yes! what I understand. How do you know that? I love, I so love weird election stuff. So people don't know. And we should do this. You go to the polls and people will make sausage for it. All different sausage. It's, yes, it's true. It's a whole true. fun day. Yeah, because yeah. it's done at schools. And so there's like a bake sale. You're yeah. supporting the local school. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Wendy Zuckerman is the host of Science Versus podcast from the Gimlet Network. The ghost one's coming out soon. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. And now the spiel. Chuck Berry has died. I know you knew this. It was front page if below the fold type news in a world where front page below the fold is increasingly meaningless. Maybe this is why I got the sense that he was underappreciated. The obits, if you read them, were correct. They were all pretty glowing. They all said this was one of the most important guys in rock history. Yet I didn't get the overwhelming sense, okay, let's as a society take two days and really listen to acknowledge and appreciate Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry's death was far from ignored, but I can't quantify this. It seemed to be a little less covered than, say, George Michael's death. Chuck Berry, this was one of the two or three most important rock and roll musicians of all time. Now, notice I said rock and roll musicians. Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Bo Diddley, they were all great. They were all influential. They all played rock, all belonging or in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they were bluesmen. They straddled the world. Chuck Berry was rock and roll. He defined rock and roll. Very importantly, he branded rock and roll. He didn't actually give the genre of music its name, and he never took credit for spreading the phrase that was DJ Allen freed, 
But he put it in so many of his songs, and there it stayed. Rock and roll music, roll over Beethoven, sweet little rock and roller. School days, that last verse, hell, hell, rock and roll. Sweet little 16's opening words, they were really rocking in Boston. Maybe that's why John Lennon once said, if you try to give rock and roll another name, you might have called it Chuck Berry. By the way, the aforementioned Alan Freed, given credit for spreading the appeal of rock and roll, but also literally taking credit, a writer's credit, on Chuck Berry's Maybelline, which cut Chuck Berry out of his proper share of the profits. That was the story of Chuck Berry and many early African-American pioneers of rock. You know, I think back to that scene in Back to the Future. You remember it. Marty McFly is on stage. He's playing Johnny B. Good to a high school crowd who's never heard the song. The former lead singer of the band who cut his hand and can't play is sidelined, but he makes a phone call to his cousin. Chuck! Chuck! It's Marvin! Your cousin, Marvin Berry! You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this! Now, when I first saw Back to the Future, I was delighted at this Mobius strip of a joke. Marty learned a Chuck Berry song, goes back in time, and teaches the music of Chuck Berry, through an intermediary, to Chuck Berry. Of course, another way of looking at it is that a black musician, forced to share credit with white men during his lifetime, who even had gigs canceled on occasion when promoters found out that he wasn't white, He was depicted as having only achieved his unique sound through a white teenager named Marty McFly. Here's an analogous part of a less famous time-traveling film. I'll play it out. Hello, George Washington? George Washington, it's your cousin Marvin. Marvin Washington Carver. Remember those innovative uses of peanuts you were considering? Listen to this. Now, I don't know how you hold a phone up to peanut innovation, I'm not quite sure of the naming conventions in that family, but it'll all get smoothed out in post. My point is, with Back to the Future, good joke, glad it's in the movie. Well, at the same time, it's a tribute, but also a little bit of an indignity. I do think Chuck Berry was a more important rock and roll musician than Elvis. Musician. Also songwriter. You know how Barry got muscled out of all those song credits? Elvis muscled his way into them. You know, Don't Be Cruel, Love Me Tender. He didn't write those songs. He's credited as having done so. He was a poor boy from Mississippi, but once he got a measure of fame, he was a white man. Also, Barry was every bit the rock and roll showman Elvis was. Elvis had his Vegas period. Chuck Berry never did. That's a point in whose favor exactly? Anyway, it wasn't Elvis. It was George Michael I was thinking of. He just seemed to me to have gotten more attention in his death than Chuck Berry did. I understand why. George Michael was a part of the childhoods of most of the people in charge of the internet. His death was under mysterious circumstance at first, and he was a talent, definitely a talent. But listen, I sat my kids down and I said, okay, guys, we have got to go over a bunch of Chuck Berry songs. Tell me which ones you know. That's good. All right. Which ones you don't? Let's listen to them. A similar conversation with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go or I Want Your Sex Did Not Happen. Child Protective Services will be pleased to hear. But I also think a big reason that the Chuck Berry death more or less came and went is Trump. Yes, it's Trump. Trump just sucks up every bit of oxygen and attention. It is difficult to attend to the section of our news feed that is news, that is factual, that is historical even, but it is not the news that if we don't know now, we might explode. It is not the current sliver of insanity that is imperiling us right now. I think when Trump leaves office in a little over three years, 300 days, I hope, I think then we will have survived. I hope so. But so much 
that could have been paid attention to, considered, contemplated, appreciated, debated, or even discarded will never have happened because he takes up all of our bandwidth. I was thinking about this. One reason why things seem pretty bad to some people under Obama is because things were pretty good. What I mean is that the fundamental functionality of the government, the societal moment more or less moving in the right direction, it afforded us the luxury of intensely examining all parts of society. But during a crisis, there's no time for nitpicks. When the yacht is gushing a leak, you don't notice if the hand towels in the stateroom match. To wit, last week, the Wall Street Journal announced that CEOs in America had set a new record for pay. Unlike the retreat in salaries in the last few years, the Wall Street Journal reported that median pay for the chief executives of 104 of the biggest American companies rose to $11.5 million, which was a post-recession record. This was the most important issue of the Obama years, I would argue. It was income inequality. We didn't even say that phrase before the Obama years. Even Trump brought up income inequality or the fact that people weren't getting ahead at an equal rate. The idea was that even if the economy expanded, what does it matter if too few people were sharing in that expansion? That, by the way, that is what populism is. Populism is just that writ large. And now we have the biggest example of it getting worse, and that has barely been noticed. How could it be with the Russian hacks and the Flynn revelations and the Sessions recusal and the Tillerson trip and the healthcare proposal? So I just want to take a moment to remember and honor and just contemplate the genius of Chuck Berry. Hell, hell. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Mary Wilson, whose favorite Ted Cruz phrase over the weekend was... I've called bucket three the sucker's bucket. Chris Berube, just producer, wants Senator Cruz not to avoid this vote because when it comes to key legislation requiring a 60-vote majority, duckers muck it. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is watching March Madness, but still hasn't seen a Rutgers bucket. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, gets his jelly across state lines because Smucker's truck it. The gist, we knew the Stradivarius was counterfeit when the salesman went all pizzicato on us because hucksters pluck it. Oom Peru, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>